0: You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. It's, um, it's good to be back with all of you today. Um, last couple of Sundays, uh, a team uh, of us from Seabreeze, as well as three other churches in the area, were in Dubai putting on a conference for workers in that part of the world. God really blessed the time, and I want to thank you for your, your prayers for us uh, during that time. The second night that we were uh, in Dubai as a team, we got a chance to get on the metro, the the mass transit system there, and do some sightseeing. We went to the Mall of the Emirates. And after uh, a few hours, I was really starting to feel the effects of jet lag. Um, I needed to speak to the conference the next morning. And so my wife and I decided to return to our hotel. And uh, this meant that we went out on the streets of Dubai by ourselves, and we were given precise instruction by our team leader. But once we got to the metro station, I couldn't tell which platform to take. Now, thankfully, there were only two options at this particular metro station, or it would have been really tough. I was in Manhattan as a teenager, and I got on the wrong subway and ended up in Queens. So I wanted to get the right platform. But we both tried to remember the instruction, but we had different Memories. (laughs) So then we tried to ask for help, and we couldn't get a response. So I thought, well, 50-50. So I made a guess that turned out to be right, and I was grateful. So when it comes to the streets of Dubai, I was lucky that night, not smart. Now, in this message series, we're talking about the the most important kind of street smart. That is the ability to navigate life itself. Street smart is often used in contrast to book smart. Street smart is not a class you can take in college and pass. It's something that can only be learned on the streets of real life. You you have to learn it by doing it, by experience. Now, you might think that the Bible is about becoming book smart because, well, it's a book. But while it is a book, it is a book about real life. Now, in fairness, not every book in the Bible has an immediate practical application, but the vast majority of verses in the Bible do. And James, the book that we're looking at in this series, is arguably the most practical book of the 66 books in the Bible. That's why James is our guide for this series on being street smart. But while James is very practical, it is still a book. It's still only words. Reading these words will only make you book smart. The real challenge, of course, of being street smart is turning the knowledge, the information, as good as it is, into action. That's the focus of the part of James that I'm going to look at this morning with you. It's James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. And in these verses, James addresses a really important question, that is, how can we become who we should be? How do we become who we should be? It starts out in this passage with James explaining how we should be in a particular area of life, how we should be, how you should be, and how I should be. Here's what he says in verses 19 through 20 of James chapter 1. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be... What? Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. This is not just a three-part list in no particular order. Listening, speaking, and anger are linked. They are connected to each other and have an effect on each other. In fact, they line up kind of like dominoes. One leads to the next. Now, the order that they're placed in, in this verse in the Bible, is the order that a street-smart person, a wise person, would put them in. They are, first of all, quick to listen. They lead with listening. They listen first before they allow their emotions to take over. They listen first before they make a decision. And then the second domino, the second thing they do is they are then slow to speak, That's the second domino. And it follows naturally from the first because if you're quick to listen, you will automatically be slow to speak. In fact, when you do speak, if you're really listening, your words will probably be words of clarification, trying to make sure you understand what the person is saying, that you've listened correctly. And then, domino number three is then, only after you've listened, and only after you've been really slow to speak, then. Maybe you will become angry. You will be slow to anger. It's the third domino. You'll be slow to anger because it just takes time to do the first one and the second one. And so automatically, you're going to be slow to anger. Now, when it comes to being street smart, you can't get any more brilliant and practical than this list. I mean, this verse alone, if done would end most marriage conflicts. I can't think of a single argument with my wife that could not have been avoided if I had been quick to listen and slow to speak. I mean, the divorce rate in our nation would plummet if this was done in mass. Can you imagine how much more productive business would be if people did this, if they actually listened to each other first and were slow to spout off their big ideas and slow to get angry? Can you imagine how much more civil our culture would be if we were quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry? But as this verse says, this is how we should be. The implication is, this is not that common. This is not how we tend to be. We tend to be the opposite of this. What we actually do is we reverse the order of these three. Instead of being quick to listen, we usually are quick to what? Become angry. We tend to lead with our emotions. It's usually our first domino. So when you lead with your emotion, when you lead with anger, you react to anger, what's next? You're not going to be slow to speak. You will be quick to speak. You see, when you reverse the order of these three, you change the quick and slow words in front of each of them. We're supposed to be slow to speak, but in, if we're quick to anger, we will be quick to speak. In other words, in anger, we'll spout off. We'll vent. We'll say stuff that will only make it worse. And then, of course, the last domino is listening. Since it's at the end of the line, you will be not quick to listen. Like it is if it's at the front line, you'll be slow to listen because it's at the end if you ever get around to listening at all. You'll jump to conclusions before you really understand, before you really listen. Because you're leading with your emotions, you're leading with anger. Now, street smart is how you would describe the order in this verse as it is. When you reverse the order, that's street dumb. I mean, that just leads to a, a, a really tough life. So the question is, why hasn't these two verses changed our world. I mean, this is brilliant. This would change so much if we would just do this. Well, in fairness, partly, a lot of people don't know these verses. So that's maybe why they haven't changed the world. And secondarily, a lot of people, even if they knew these verses, would decide that they did not want to do them. But I don't think that's the case for the majority in this room. I think you know about this. You may not have remembered this exact verse and couldn't quote it from memory, but I think most people in this room know that leading with anger is, well, that's really dumb. It just makes a mess of things. And I'm guessing that a good number of you, as I was talking about this verse, you were thinking maybe for the 400th time, you know what? i really got to do a better job in this listening area. You'd already made this decision, but you're you're saying, you know what? I I really got to work on listening. So let me ask you, repeat, attempters at this, the big question How have you done? Are you who you should be? Well, if you're like me, you've discovered that it's really hard to listen when you're angry. And if you're like me, anger just keeps beating me to the punch. Even though I know this, even though I work on this, all of a sudden I'm just caught up in my emotions. And I've already made said some things I shouldn't have said, and then I realized, oh, I should be listening, but I already didn't. So the biggest reason these verses haven't changed the world is even when we really want to do them, we can't seem to do them consistently. And this is just two verses in the Bible. There are many more nuggets like this in the pages of the Bible. I mean, there are entire pages about how we should handle temptation, the temptation of lust, or how we should not give in to worry, or how important prayer is. I mean, the list of how we should be is a long list. And I think most people in this room would agree with the things the Bible says on that list. I mean, we should treat our spouses better. We should be more intentional in our parenting. We should be more compassionate to the needs of others. So what's wrong with us? We know this stuff, not everything, but enough. Why aren't we doing it? And I'm talking, I think, to those who take the Bible seriously and really want to do this. They really do want to become street smart and turn these words into reality. So why aren't you who you should be? James addresses this next. Why you are not who you should be. So first we start with who you should be. And if we're honest, we all have to admit, we're not measuring up. We're not who we should be. So then James goes on to answer the big question, why? This is what he says in the next verse, verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly, accept the word planted in you which can save you. Does that make you feel better? No, this is going from bad to worse. I mean, first we're told we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to come angry, and we're having a hard time doing that. Now we're told to get rid of every piece of moral filth, every piece of moral wrong that we do. I mean, is James just trying to make us feel really bad about ourselves? He's just piling on here? No. What he's doing is he started with a particular example, this listening and speaking, an anger thing. And he's using that example to point to the deeper problem behind every area of life where we're not the way we should be. The fact that you and I can't seem to control our mouths or our emotions points to something in us. James goes from the surface behavior to the internal cause. There's something in us that's causing the problem. So the focus now has shifted from the external behavior what we should be in verses 19 and 20 to the internal cause in verse 21. This verse is a key hinge verse to understand this section. The problem James is pointing to is the fact that there is moral filth and evil inside of all of us. And it's not just a slight dusting of filth in our hearts. James says it's what? It's prevalent. You know what that means? That means that we can't take out the moral vacuum cleaner of our willpower and clean ourselves up on the inside. We can't clean up our own hearts. It's prevalent. It's everywhere. Now, if James had started with this verse, if he had led with verse 21, we would say, "Uh uh-uh. We would deny it. What do you mean, moral filth and evil that's so prevalent in my heart? Not either. Yeah, okay, I'm not perfect. But I'm not, like, run through and through with moral filth and evil. I'm just human. If James had led with that, we would be all defensive and say, no, he's wrong. But you see, by starting with an example of a particular moral wrong, that we all have to admit... And that none of us seem to be able to get rid of the case that James is making here is made. Oh, so moral filth is not prevalent in you? Then, Then why can't you do this one thing? Why can't you get rid of this problem? I mean, you can't even, and I can't even get rid of this one moral failure? That points to a problem that's deeper. See, we look around at each other and say, well, everybody does that. And we excuse and we, we elevate our moral performance higher than it really is. So, what hope do we have then? I mean, like I said, things are going from bad to worse. Well, at the end of this verse, James points to the only solution. It's not willpower. Our only hope is that we humbly accept the word, James says, planted in you, which can save you now we're going to spend the rest of our time on the third idea how you can become who you should be so this is how we should be this is why we are not who we should be now james says this is how we can become who we should be we can't get rid of the moral filth filth all by ourselves it has to be replaced How? By planting the one thing that can compete with the evil in our hearts. Evil is so prevalent in our hearts that it can't be removed. It's got to be outgrown. It's got to be replaced. Like a tree, James is saying. You know, it's planted in a forest. And as a young sapling, it must fight for the nutrients Of the soil and the rays of the Sun with all of the other plants of the forest all the other competing desires but eventually if it's nourished and it fights for the Sun eventually that tree will grow tall and strong and all the other plants will fade under the canopy of its branches that's the image James is painting here so what is it that has the power to start as a seed in our hearts And eventually grow strong enough to push back the evil and the wrong that has so dominated us and is so prevalent it is the word of god james says what does that mean first of all you have to understand words are the instruments of initiation that's what a word is or words are for example when we speak when we say words we are extending ourselves outside of our own head we are initiating so you can be here today and not say a single word and you've been around people but you've not really gotten outside of yourself but if you have a conversation if you just walk up to someone and say hi you are extending at least the invitation of a brief moment of relationship you are extending yourself words are needed for us to do anything outside of ourselves Whether it's a simple conversation, a simple relationship, or whether it's something as complex as the kids' building that we're building there. I mean, you look at a kids' building like that, that is a lot of words. There were a lot of words years ago that started that process. And I was looking over some of the, the plans. I mean, there's so many words on the pages that they're using to build that thing. That's an example of what words can do. It can create something outside of yourself. Without words, we would stay locked inside of our own heads and nothing would happen. In a similar way, the Word of God is the extension of God toward us. If God never spoke, we would never have the chance to know Him and who He was. But God extended Himself. He spoke. And the words of God, like our words, come in various forms. As it pertains to us, It all began when God spoke and creation, including us, came to be. The first words were creation words. And it continued, this speaking. It continued when God spoke words to the prophets in the Old Testament that revealed more and more about who He was, who we are, and how we might relate to Him. I mean, God spoke the words of the Bible. Because he was extending himself towards us and offering us a relationship. There's creation words and then there's relationship words. But the evil that is prevalent in the human heart means that all of us in various ways have rejected God's words to some extent and therefore his offer of relationship. So then God's words took on a different form. He took on a body, and he became the Word of God in flesh, we are told. That is Jesus Christ. In the New Testament book of John, the beginning in verse 14, John 1.14 says, The Word, God, God's Word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus showed us how to live God's words in real life. That's why he was the Word of God among us. And he paid the price of forgiveness that was needed for us to reconcile to God, to have peace with God, even though we've broken the relationship. These are forgiveness words. Jesus was God's forgiveness words. Now, the words between my wife and I fall into these same three categories. I mean, there were the creation words that marked the beginning of our relationship. You know, the first date would you go out with me words and then eventually the will you marry me words and then there are the relationship words that make up the bulk of our relationship it's how we we come to understand each other and adjust to each other and share life together and then there are the forgiveness words that keep our relationship from breaking so how do you plant god's word inside of you in your life Well, because our relationship with God is broken, we have to start with the forgiveness words. The seed of God's word is planted in an individual human heart when we accept the forgiveness word of God, Jesus Christ. We ask him to be planted in our lives. We accept the forgiveness he's offered, and we decide to follow him. It has to be planted in humility, it says. Why? It takes humility to accept Jesus because the offer of forgiveness only makes sense if we are willing to admit the condition of our heart. If we're busy saying, nah, we're fine, we're okay, then the forgiveness words make no sense. I mean, if you're having a conflict with someone and they don't think they did anything wrong and you say, I forgive you, are they going to accept that? No. Because it implies you think they're wrong. So we have to humbly come to the point where we realize the only thing that can save us in this life is the forgiveness words of God in Jesus Christ. That's why it takes humility to do this. So once that seed is planted, then what? Well, then it grows or it doesn't grow based on the relationship words. Those are the words of God found in the Bible. The seed grows and begins to change us, save us over time, or it doesn't grow and it doesn't change us, based on whether or not we learn these relationship words and apply them, actually do them, or not. And this is what the next set of verses in this passage in James are about. James are about. It's how do we grow this seed of God's word in our life? Here's what he says. Verses 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't, does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his mirror in a face and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James is using the analogy of what we do every day when we look in a mirror. And he's saying we are to treat God's words like a mirror. I mean, we don't wake up in the morning, stumble into the bathroom, and look at the mirror and say, that's fascinating. That's amazing. I didn't know a pillow could make that mark on a cheek. I, I didn't know that my hair could be twisted and contorted that way. How did that happen? That's That's amazing, and then we walk out the front door and having done nothing. No, no, that's not what the mirror is about. The purpose of the mirror is not for entertainment or for insight. Wow, I look terrible. But to do something about it. It's for change. It's the same with God's Word, James is saying. God gave us the words of the Bible, the relationship words of the Bible, so that we could take action. We might adjust to his ways. And just like with a mirror, James goes on to point out that there are three parts that are required if you're going to actually act on what you see. If the seed of God's word that's been planted in you because you've accepted Jesus Christ, if it's actually going to change you or not, there's three things you have to do. The first is, you have to do what it says specifically. You have to do what the Bible says specifically. The, the two words, James says, is you have to look intently. You can't just read the Bible generally. You've got to read it specifically. Like, how do I do this in my life? It has to get specific. I mean, when you stood in front of the mirror this morning and surveyed the damage from the previous, previous night's sleep, How did you go about fixing that damage? Generally or specifically? Specifically. I mean, for me, I was getting ready to walk out this morning and I had a hair blown straight up. So I didn't just put on a ball cap, because I'm speaking. You maybe did, but I didn't. So I had to get some product and tackle that wild hair specifically. In fact, here's a picture of our bathroom. How many of you know what that is on the counter to the left? Everyone that's married knows what that is, right? It is a magnifying mirror so that what? You can see the damage more in specifically, see? more intently. Why? Because the work that needs to be done is specific. It's not general. Now, even if you don't use a magnifying mirror, and a lot of guys don't use a magnifying mirror. I mean, the older we get, (laughs) we sometimes do. But even if you don't use one, you are doing specific things to your hair, to your face. The same principle applies to God's Word. It calls for specific action, not general intentions. So if you read the Bible in the morning, which I recommend you do that for the same reason you look at a mirror in the morning. What you do in the morning tends to flavor the day. So if you read the Bible in the morning and decide, you know what, I need to be a nicer person today. And you don't get any more specific than that. What you've just done is you just put on a ball cap and run out the front door. Nothing has been fixed. It's just been covered up with good intentions. I recommend that not only do you take time to read the Bible, but then you work to try every single day to take one step of action, just one at least, one specific thing out of the Bible that you can do today. Now, this takes time. It doesn't take a lot of time, but it takes time. I mean, you can walk by a window or a mirror and notice that something needs to be fixed. But you can't do much while you're moving. You need to slow down in order to act on what you've just seen. This is why the daily time with God is so important. It's, it's an intentional 15 or 30 minutes, however long, where you just sit down and you're slow enough to listen to God's Word and take some steps. We need to slow down long enough to look into the mirror of God's Word so that we can see our reflection in it most people read the bible way too fast in my opinion either they're moving too fast on the inside you know some sometimes people just listen to it on the way to work it's like yeah that's okay but it's like putting your makeup on the way to work mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay so if you're moving too fast on the inside you won't see anything but a blurry image of yourself. And God might want to say something real specific to you. But you're moving on the inside too fast. Or they're reading the Bible too fast. They're trying to get through major chunks of it. Now, again, if you've never read through the whole Bible, go ahead and do that. But I would encourage most people generally, slow down until you see a reflection in this passage, in these verses. The Bible is a mirror. It's not a race. Take time to look into it. So do what it says specifically. second thing is do what it says repeatedly. James says, and continues in it. You don't just do this occasionally. You do it repeatedly. I mean, how often do you spend time in front of a mirror? At least daily. And usually a few times throughout the day to kind of put things back in place. Why daily? All it takes is one night's sleep to mess up, How amazing you look. I mean, hair does not stay in place, and neither do we. I mean, let's just say you're trying to apply the verses that I just read about, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You're trying to apply these. You just read these. You're trying to apply these. So one of your applications is you decide that you're going to try to ask at least one clarifying question when you're in an important conversation before you say anything. That would be a great application. That's a, a way to slow yourself down. Just before I respond, I'm going to ask one clarifying question. And that's your application. That's a great application. And let's say you do that three times. Are you now an amazing listener? No. Why? You only did it three times. But you've been a horrible listener for years. Three times isn't going to turn things around drastically. So we have to be patient with ourselves. God is so patient with us. He's not saying, "Ah, I can't believe you forgot to listen again. He's like, of course you forgot to listen again. It's the way you've always been. Keep working at it. You see, this is like gardening. My wife often goes out every morning to look at the stuff that we've planted. And kind of a running joke is, Did it change much? It's like daily, not much. But over weeks, over months, yeah. It takes time for God to grow change in us. So keep at it. Every day you pick up the mirror of God's word, He will show you the next step to take. And if you do that consistently, you'll look back and you'll see some change. Lastly, do what it says in the moment. The way James says this is not forgetting what they have heard. So again, let's just say you've spent time in front of the mirror of God's Word reading that James 1.19 verse about being slow to become angry. And you thought, well, that's, that's me. I've really got to work on that. And you come up with a specific action plan. You think of maybe someone that you might get angry at, and you're going to work on that today. And then you head to work. Someone cuts you off in traffic. And because you read that verse, you don't get angry, Right? wrong. You get angry. If you're like most people, your day has now taken off. You're thinking about all the stuff you got to do today, and you have long forgotten that verse that you read an hour ago. That's normal. So when do you need the words of the Bible most? When you're sitting in peace and calm at home in the early morning and you're reading it, is that when you need it most? No. No when you really need it, is in the middle of your day. That's why it's so helpful to memorize verses in the Bible. I mean, you might still forget it in the moment. Anger might still take over. But if you've memorized some verses on anger, I promise you, you will remember in the moment more often than if you just read and never memorize. Again, it takes time. The Bible is not a magic pill. It's a seed. It just takes time. You know, I memorized a new word last week. It's not in the Bible, but it's a new word. The word is masharik. Those of us that were on the trip, they know that word. That is the name of the subway stop in front of our hotel. (laughs) After that evening, I was like, okay, I got to remember this, masharik. So I started with mushroom, mushroom, sounds like mushroom, masharik, and I remembered it. I memorized it because I needed it to navigate the streets of Dubai. I didn't want to keep guessing. I wanted to return here. It's the same when it comes to real life. If you want to be street smart in real life, I recommend you start memorizing verses. And I recommend, kind of like what I memorized in Dubai, you start with verses that you need for the particular street that you're on. I didn't memorize the entire subway system. I didn't memorize a subway stop five stops beyond Macharique that we never got to. I memorized the one I needed. So start with a verse that you really need. I mean, ask someone, hey, you got a great verse I could memorize? And see if it fits with your situation. Or as you're reading through the Bible, you'll come across some verses that will be God will speak to you and be like, oh, I've got to memorize that one. Write it down. Work through that list. You know, by the end of the week in Dubai, I knew the red line. That was the subway line that we were on. Now, I wouldn't call myself Dubai Street Smart. No. If you get me far away from the subways, I'm in trouble. That takes time. And it's the same with the Word of God planted in you that can save you. It takes time. As I said, God's Word is, a, is like a plant. It's not like a magic pill. So allow the Word to be planted in you, and then grow it every day. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you did not remain silent. You did not leave us to <clears throat> guess and bump around in the dark of life to try to figure out how to reduce the pain and how to build something that brings joy, that you told us who you are, you told us who we are, and you told us how to navigate the streets of life. And we are so grateful for the word of God. I pray that you would help us to to be humble. Humility is not natural to any of us. And we live in a, a time where arrogance is rampant. But help us to humble ourselves before your word on a regular basis. And I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that those in this room who decide to do this, God, I pray this week that you would speak to them. You would help them to get really specific about one action they can take. You would help them to remember that, and you would help them to continually do that, and you would grow them. We thank you again, we pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.